The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com Pachak Supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode is also brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash podchuck. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode is also supported by the Podchuck Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now available in the iTunes App Store. Live from an acid bath jacuzzi, it's Doctor Who Podchuck. Doctor Who Podshop. Okay, well, let's do it now. I you know, whatever it is, if it's valuable, send it to us. <laughs> For the best in all things Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who Podshock, the podcast all about Doctor Who, the longest-running science fiction television program with Louis Trapani. Hello. Ken Deep. Hello. James Norton. Hello. News. Fabulous. Reviews. Oh, no. And fan mail for James. Uh, over 40,000. Doctor Who Podshock from the Gallifrey Embassy. You know, that guy James was really cool. Oh, yeah. What blew that? I'm the Doctor, and who are you? And who are you? You know the drill, people. Acid visors down and locked. Well, the acid potency stats have definitely dropped below the mean during the last quarter. Better than a computer, isn't she? Give her off a buzz. Ooh. What's that? Buzz. Great. Sorry, buzzer. You're dead. This is right, Penny. That's gone now. Got to write this one up for the boss. Those suits cost a bomb. I think we better talk about what just happened back there. When you're doing your report, it wasn't my fault. She took a swing at me. Thirteenth uh, century. Oh, we've gone all medieval. I'm not sure about that. Really, medieval expert, are you? No, it's just that I can hear Dusty Springfield. These fissures are new. Solar tsunami sent out a huge wave of gamma particles. This is caused by a magnetic quake that occurs just before the wave hit. Doctor, look. Yeah, it's a supply pipe. Something corrosive. I think we're here. This is it. So what are you talking about? We've never been here before. Mm. We came here by accident. Accident? There are people coming. Well, almost. Almost coming. Almost people. Three. Hold and remain calm. Who the hell are you? Well, I'm the Doctor and this is Amy and Rory and it's all very nice, isn't it? Hold up. You are like identical twins. Your ID checks out. I need to see your critical systems. Which one? You know which one. Meet the government's worst-kept secret, the flesh. It's fully programmable matter. It acts like life, but it still needs to be controlled by us. From those harnesses you saw. This acid is so dangerous, we were losing a worker every week. What are you up to, pal? Stop it. Strange. 
It was like, for a moment there, it was scanning me. Get back, Doctor. Leave it alone. The Gallifrey Embassy presents Doctor Who, Podshock, episode 247. This is Louis Trapani, and joining me on this episode is none other than Dave A.C. Cooper across the pond. Hello, Dave. Yeah, well, from an acid bath uh, jacuzzi, I think I'd rather be in a birthing pool in Royal Derby. <laughs> hey, what do you think, George? Yeah, it could very well be the case soon. <laughs> And uh, also with us is Terrastinetician here in the U.S. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Good to have you back on the show again. Good to be back. So I hope you both are doing well. And also, we um, thank you both for attending last, well, depending on on your point of view, last night's meetup and party on Second Life that we had. Dr. Hupachak was once again having our annual, well, not annual, our seasonal meetup there. And we had one last night. And we'll be back um, doing it again in in August, August 20th. Yes, sir. Yeah, I'm sorry I missed quite a bit of it, but uh, it was really great, and uh, the sim didn't crash, so... Yeah, we had a lot of people. There was a a lot of new people there. Some of the regulars weren't able to make it. I know Graham Sheridan had to work, and he wasn't able to be there, and um, um, Terry Lightfoot and um, and, and Nick, and... Well, I'm not going to go through the whole list, but there were a lot of regulars that weren't able to be there, but there were a lot of new people. And um, also, we had the premiere of... And when we did the TARDIS tours, which we usually start the event with, we had the premiere of... um, Or the debut of the Matt Smith... Smith TARDIS um, control room, which was um, really nice. They did an outstanding job with that. So you were able to uh, really go through the the, the various levels of it, and uh, it it really had that three-dimensional, well, no pun intended, but that three-dimensional feel. So uh, we're here, and we're going to be reviewing the Rebel Rebel Flesh today, and as always, we... um, a spoiler warning go, goes out to uh, to everyone, uh, because if you haven't seen this episode, then uh, there'll be spoilers here. Just a, a bit of programming note as far as um, we want to congratulate James Norton for his, um, which I think was what what Dave was um, getting at before, but I, I, want, I wanted to introduce um, uh, Taras first. Uh, before getting into this, but we want to uh, congratulate James, our co-host here on Doctor Who Podshock. He and um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of his. I, I just I just uh, blanked we, out. We both know her by her uh, Twitter name. That's yeah. the problem. Lydia, yes. Thank you, <laughs> <Robo> Perry. <laughs> <laughs> both uh, welcomed a new addition to their family. The, it's uh, and to the Podshock family. Yes. So there's a a, a, a mini. James Norton, except for his name, I believe his name is George. Is that is that the case? George, yeah. Okay, so very cute baby and a welcome addition to them. I'm very pleased and excited and about them. And her name is Lydia. Yes, yes. Perry had put it in the um, in in the chat session. Yeah, that's fantastic news. Everyone uh, is getting a cigar. So if you're listening to the show. Here's your cigar. Virtual cigar. <laughs> we could have given them out in second life, couldn't we? <laughs> That's how I found out about it. I didn't know about it until someone had mentioned it uh, while we were having our meetup. 
Yes, because the baby was born only at 20 to midnight uh, on the 21st. Mm-hmm. So he was coming in just when the world was ending. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> His birthday will will ever be will, will forever be known as Rapture Day. Well, speaking Nobody of Rapture Day, for him, it's absolutely brilliant news. Yes, yes. So we're going to be reviewing the Rebels' flesh here, and I keep on. It's sort of like speaking of you know having have a cigar reminds me of a Pink Floyd song, and so does um in the flesh as far as um and David Bowie's Rebel Rebel. If you merge these two together, you get the Rebels' flesh. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I still that first cup of coffee still hasn't kicked in yet. So, <laughs> so uh, you can call into our show, and uh, it's it's free to call in while we're doing though local, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, you know, if you can call in via the internet, there's various um, different ways to do that. Free on the internet, but you can just call on our regular phone right now at seven two four 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 seven four four four. And our call ID number to join us is 23358. And uh, if you call now, you can get yourself in the queue and we, uh, we will, we'll take our live feedback and hear what you have to say about the Rebel Flash. The Rebel Flash, it was uh, directed by Julian Simpson, written by Matthew Graham, and it stars, um, it's, they have a good cast of uh you know, guest starrings, guest in guest starring roles here, including uh, I think it's Marshall Lancaster, who uh, who's from um, who you may I used to watch his life. On yeah, you, you, our listeners may be familiar with him from Life on Mars and Ashes to Ashes. So uh, speaking of see, we come for a circle. Speaking of David Bowie and David Bowie songs, see, I knew there was some sort of reason behind all this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also joining the cast is our. Uh, uh, Mark Boner as Jimmy, Sarah Smart as Jennifer, Rachel, Rachel Cassidy as Cleves, and Leon Vickers as Dickon. So uh, a, a good cast there, though. Uh, I think the the, the Dickon character is the one who I think has the cold, is the one that's sneezing. He really, yeah, his part it's hasn't been a fleshed clue, out a clue so much. We need. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, that's a pretty good clue. Yeah, and the Mark Bonner character that you, you mentioned, or the actor, um, he was also in a, a recent sci-fi here in the UK that I think you talked about on the, the Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. He was in Paradox. Oh, okay. He he does just have a familiar look to him. I don't know. I, I probably seen him in something before. He just seems very familiar. Yeah. Even uh, Rachel Cassidy seemed familiar too. And um, oh, for that matter, same same thing with Sarah Smart. The, the only one that didn't seem familiar was Leon Vickers. <laughs> so uh, this is part one of part two. Obviously, if you've seen that, if you've seen the episode, you know that already. Uh, it turned out to be better than I thought it was going to be. As personally, just going from the previews that I saw, it just the, the previews just I mean didn't really. Um, you can't really glean too much for a preview anyway, but it didn't really grab me per se. But um, it's a um, a future Earth story as a, I don't know if I, I think we were talking a, a little bit about this before we started recording. So I think it pl- takes place in the 22nd century. We're on Earth yep. on, on a, um, in a monastery on, on a small island and they're mining acid. So I'm assuming that's for military purposes, but I, I didn't really realize one would mine. It's something that you would mine, but I guess um, who knows. 
but well, maybe after the Dalek invasion, there's acid all over the place. Or maybe they're getting ready for another nesting invasion. <laughs> yeah, but that... yes, it, 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 it was not clear really what what the acid was for, and, and whether it was just naturally occurring acid that they were pumping. They didn't seem to be actually manufacturing it. Yeah, I assume it was for military purposes because that's what they. At first, um, the assumption was that they were working for the military, and then they corrected as that uh, no, we're contractors. So, I'm assuming it's it's for the military. And what mm. other purpose would the military have? Uh, I would match. I, I'm I'm assuming they're weaponizing the acid in some fashion. I would. That's just my assumption. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, they had this uh, solar tsunami, uh, tsunami rather, and. <laughs> yeah, that's something that the local weather forecasters seem to miss all the time. Well, whatever. It's 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 science fiction. I, I I don't understand. You know, it's it's not that far in the future. How you know? It's I I don't know. It's it's one of these freak things. I guess I don't know. Well, it's, I mean, they call it a mass solar ejection. We've got Taris, the right man in here for telling us that sort of stuff. <laughs> That's uh, right. Coronal mass ejection, solar flare, whatever you want to call it. So I think they just tried to give it a new trendy yeah, but sounding the, name. The, the, or, or make something that sounds worse than the solar flares that our sun that we're used to from our sun, right? Yeah, I know. We, we, right. we, we get these solar flares and they warn you that they could interfere with your cell phone and electronics, but never to this degree. <laughs> the sky never <laughs> turns red and um, it, it's whatever. But well, anyway... They take out uh, Quebec Hydro back in, uh, in the previous century. What was that? They took out... Solar flares. It took out. What did it take out? Quebec Hydro, causing a big blackout in the. Oh really? It was the late seventies, early eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and there are these mass solar ejections that are sort of even bigger than the provinces, but um, I think they were just trying to, as you say quite rightly, increase the jeopardy factor. Of course, of course, the TARDIS looked great flying through it at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just I I think maybe um, I don't know if it would have worked. If it would have just been more acceptable if it was another planet or something like that, that this would be something that would be something more normal or, you know, these solar thing, you know, like a solar storm would be something that would be more common on another, you know, planet outside of Earth, you know, or if or if something between now and whenever time this takes place, something happens, you know, that that causes this well, indeed uh, unless for the second part it has to be placed on earth for story reasons it could be it would have worked yeah. better yeah. being a, an asteroid around a, an unstable sun because that would have worked i mean uh, you know a, a reservoir of acid below the surface of a somewhere like europa or somewhere you know where it's under constant strains or io or some other moon like that would actually seem a much better Plot point, but there may well be reasons. It, it could to, very well be placed on Earth, and and that's a good point, and it's something that you know we should make a point of saying is that obviously this is part one of part two, and I always hate reviewing an episode when it we've only seen reviewing a story, so to speak, when you only see half of it. So you know we're reviewing this episode, but we can't really review the story because we haven't seen the whole story yet. So there, there are certain um, things that happened at the end of this part. 
of, of this this you know part one of two of the story that some people are speculating how this could play in, in in the future of Doctor Who or whatever, but you can't really make those speculations until you see part two and you know you know how this story is going to conclude and you know what you know what's what. Um, technically, though, as far as um, this episode goes, I thought. It looks great. We had, uh, and I think, again, before we started recording, we were mentioning that it was um, shot in various different locations, and I think all those location shootings pay off because it, it looks wonderfully. The The lighting is great. It's um, very cinematic. The effects are spot on, and um, I, I, Murray Gold, once again, hits all the music cues and um, hits all his marks, and I, I think the music works very well in this episode. So I think technically, I think it's it's done very well, and it it does have a, a cinematic look to it. If if you just um, if the, the, from the various different shots and points of views and photography there, I, I think they they produced it and um, the production was done done very well. Uh, I, I, can I just say, yeah. make a point there? If, you, if, if people watch the confidential, it's amazing that. Um, I mean, I don't. I, until I'd heard Dar talk about it many episodes ago, I hadn't realised about all these colour paintings that they do to to, to give a, a look and feel to a show. But if you look at the confidential, and you, you see the the little sequences that they're showing filming from a second camera, you know everything's got lots of colour in it. But when you, in the actual episode, you've got that very sort of muted washed color out. palette. That's, mm-hmm. Yeah, washed out, which gave... But that that carries all the way through the episode to give that coherence to it. Uh, and even though it was set in the future, it's got that uh, medieval um, sort of grayness to it where you, you're not expected to see bright fabrics or things like that. Yeah. Well, th- it takes place... Story-wise, it takes place in a. I think the doctor said it was a 13th century monastery. So, you know, it's it's a combination of combining you know future technology with with old Earth um, relics or you know structures and whatnot. So, I I think it, it you know with that it worked very well. It, it you know watching it the first time you know uh, without seeing like Doctor Who Confidential, you one would just imagine maybe they they could have built some of these sets custom for their purposes but they took um they went on location and they they used them so effectively that it just works you know the uh the, that that room where they are pinned up where the where the, the original humans are controlling the, their flesh replicas at first that just it, that room looks and feels the way it, it should be and um i think they did a good job there uh, story-wise, it's it's a concept that we've seen before in science fiction, where the you know you have characters facing duplicates of themselves, you know, going back to like Star Trek and probably before that as well, and uh, you know, so it's interesting because you know then you it's not like you're fighting a an un, a unknown enemy, but you're you have to kind of think about how you would fight and then you know contra contra balance that with you know and and um it's interesting so it's i again you know go ahead Taras. i'm sorry all you have to do is even look into the history of doctor who where you have uh either duplicates or doppelgangers of the doctor or of other characters yes dating back to uh the massacre or enemy of the world and and so on yeah and and that 
a little bit of that was predictable as far as um, I wish maybe perhaps if they if they, if, if um, they held off on giving too much clues about the doctor being unconscious for an hour because what, that happened fairly soon you know after he's um, you know he, he's he's on that tower and gets knocked down um, from a solar flare or whatever you know he's unconscious well and, if one of the things if, if you remember when they're first entering into the castle it's almost as if the doctor knows what's going on well where it's, yes Amy yeah. asks almost coming when he he yeah. says almost, and then he goes almost people. Yeah, he definitely knows more than he's letting on. So he's there's there's more that the doctor knows about this than either you know. I mean, we're we're left as the audience not knowing either whether or not you know um, you know we know Stephen Moffat likes to play with time sometimes, <laughs> so uh, it, it opens it up to different possibilities whether or not the doctor is just familiar with this has been here before has been in this time period obviously he time travels he, he knows about this but he's I think it's more than that you know I think there's more to it than that. Um, and this is also another pastiche of. Uh the Frankenstein story. Yes, yeah. Generating well, life from a blast mm -hmm. of energy. Yeah, so this artificial life, uh, this artificial flesh, rather, comes to life and uh, becomes a, a sentient beings. And so they, they have all their memories of, the, the of, of, I guess, their hosts, you know, that, if for the lack of a better word, their, their previous hosts. So... Yeah, it's interesting. This uh, artificial, artificial flesh also creates clothes as well, uh, so that they they made a point of of saying that in the dialogue too. Because, um, in well, uh, again, we we if you if you're listening, we know you've seen this already. So in the end, when it's revealed that the doctor has a, a doppelganger, you know, he's fully clothed as the doctor as well. Uh, so let's see what else. What else is um, what other points? Shall we make about this? The eye patch lady once again makes another appearance. You know, the, the, this is sort of the the crack in the wall that we kept on reappearing last season. It's this is the the reoccurring thing, and it's only Amy that's seeing it. So it's definitely something that's that's um, directly connected with with Amy. You know, so one thing that I really liked in this episode was the inside joke to to Rory realizing that he almost dies in every episode. Yes. Welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually it has a, you know, a double meaning, really, because we find out later that she is um, she is the artificial flesh. So she he is sort of welcoming, you know, to his world, you know, to 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 the real world in a sense. Yeah, well, it's got double meaning, hasn't it? Like Taras says that he di he's so used to dying. Yeah. Or indeed that... Um, as you say, some people are still not totally convinced that Rory is now fully human. Yeah. So um, I, I guess it's my kind of takeaway from it so far. It's I mean, I th I enjoyed it. It was it was good. It was, um, you know, and again, until we see the second part, I really can't give a overall you know, impression of the story or whether I liked it or not. But so far, this first half of it, you know, I I. I you know, I enjoyed it. We'll have to see what happens. Dave, what was your take on it? Well, uh, first of all, um, 
I found it slightly confusing at the beginning because, um, and, and I don't mean confusing in the much as um, me being thick and not understanding it, but I mean, I wasn't sure about, like I said, about this being on Earth, and yet them, they apparently seem to be mining acid. Um, the funny thing about the, because the trailer that we'd seen, as you said, you can't always go from the trailer, the trailer had seemed it was going to be a very dark episode, and in some ways it was, but it, it actually started off with a very sort of jokey scene, I mean, uh, the, one of them nudges, the, I mean, over the top of a bath of acid, and the sort of, you know, not being very serious at all, yeah. of course that causes um, one of the characters to uh, fall into the uh, the water, the uh, the buzzer character, and uh, then there's all the joke, you know, and, uh, I can't feel my feet, I can't feel me, I can't feel, oh, my arse has gone now. I mean, <laughs> you're thinking, well, you know, what are we in for here? And and, uh, and just the way they, they took that. Right away after that, the uh, the Jennifer character, the, uh, the flesh version, denies pushing Buzz yes. later on. So it... it like that uh, little uh, seed there of uh, what is this character going to end up doing? Yeah, and undoubtedly, of course, because one of the things is when they're explaining, when they go into the, the room where they are all uh, in these cages, are in these beds, and uh, Rory makes a guess, well, I suppose these are the almost people. And, and then we find out that, the, as you say, the Jennifer character is the only one that isn't a ganger, uh, so you wonder whether sometimes something has already happened. We're led to suppose that until this actual lightning strike, this not lightning strike, this tsunami, something strikes, that all has been as it should be. In fact, you know they have this great vat of things. Uh, they go into the these chairs, our beds. Uh, they go into a sort of trance-like thing, and they're basically controlling um, avatars. I, I mentioned avatars last week, didn't I? Uh, they're almost co controlling them as avatars going about doing their motion while they lie in, in, in safety away from the acid. Mm. Um, but then we, we, they start to play with that. They, we get a little bit confused. I think deliberately, by the way, by the A, the writer... Uh, um, so uh, some of the confusion was to, you know, what they were doing. I mean, were, was this acid underground and it was a naturally occurring acid and they were mining it or what? So there was some confusion about not giving me clarity of, about where the situation was. Some of the uh, other confusion was the, uh, was it obscuring, I can't even say the word, but obscuring what was really happening there. But... Um, there were lots to like about it, but I did. Uh, well, once I saw that tower with the cockle on it, um, that frightened me a little bit. I, I thought a little bit idiot's lantern with that. Uh, um, I was a little bit concerned. Uh, I also had it pointed out to me uh, earlier that um, you know th there's a slight resemblance to the Daleks in Manhattan, in a, as much as in the second part of that, where you've got these creatures that are being well, the people that are being bred to be. Daleks sort of rise up against the Daleks, so you have this sort of basic. Basically, they're a slave race in a sense, aren't they? Um, and that um, the Doctor, when he examines uh, this uh, flesh, and by the way, didn't we all think when the Doctor, we're all saying, "Don't put your hand in it! Don't put your hand in it!" You know, if you get a copy of you, you know, we're in trouble here. And I think most people uh, were thinking that, and. 
more than but that. But didn't he put his hand on the alien oh. bogey two episodes ago? Ah, good, good. Yeah, good. Well, that was accidental. I mean, he just—he was just—he was just actually sort of punting about, telling everybody what he knew, and he's sort of leaning on the table, I think. But the other thing is that um, when when he goes out towards his target, and then one of the things they make an absolute point about is that um, this this flesh not only can be formed into the human shape and form with all the characteristics and hair and everything even down to the clothes you're wearing at the time, the clothes you're wearing. And, of course, when the doctor goes out and he steps in this acid and he has to very quickly get rid of, uh, and I think it was Charlie P. 79, he's not here, is he, because he wants to say it himself. Um, we now know that the doctor wears size 10 shoes. Wide. A little snip. Huh? Well, um, wide. It's, <laughs> Just, it's 10 yeah. size. Uh, the point is, uh, uh, most of us must surely have been thinking, well, that's going to be the way we're going to differentiate any yeah, change. that's what went through my mind as well. Since, as I said before, they they can replicate clothes as well. So, yeah. Well, did did you not think? I also thought, is it, is it um, robots of Mars? Where which is the one where Sarah Jane has a robot that takes a place in the the Doctor Android not, invasion. Android invasion. Mm -hmm. Sorry, thank you. And the Doctor knocks her over and she falls to the floor. Yeah. Sorry for those people who haven't seen this episode. We're talking about a fourth Doctor story, just for those that aren't familiar. Right, but he noticed because she she didn't have a she had a scarf on and she shouldn't have had a scarf yeah. on or something something around there, and it was because of her, the fact that her clothes weren't as he remembered them to be that he knew that it was not the real Sarah. So that was a nice little nod, I suppose, to classic Who. Um, uh, there was another reference, a uh, couple of audio references. Uh, you've already mentioned that one uh, that Rory says about welcome to my world. But the actual um, uh, Cleese character says, um, you know, this is my factory, my rules, which is exactly the problem the Doctor had with the ship's captain last week. You know, uh, you, know you, you can't step in here. Two, sorry, two weeks ago. Uh, yes, it was the Doctor's wife last week. So th that was one point. Um, what else? Uh, I like well, the uh, the uh, phonograph well, in monastery, where we haven't had that till since uh, the time meddler, where the meddling monk was using a gramophone in a monastery. Well, it's it's interesting because this is supposed to take place. This takes place in the future, a couple of centuries in the future, I think. So that there's you know the technology. They're not playing MP3s or or CDs. You know they're they're playing. Um, with this, um, like you said, phonograph or, or, you know. Well, that was something I thought of because he mentioned when the when one of the characters sees the buzzer, sees the stack of cards. He said he stacked the cards up and he said, "Well, like your who taught you?" And he says his grandfather. You, you wonder whether you wonder whether how long, how many generations these people have been there. I mean, they may be being deceived. They think they've only been there, you know, in one tomb of office. But yet they're still interested in very old-fashioned music and so on. I mean, do we know whether the actual ones that are supposed to be real people are themselves not gangers, if you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They've been there so long. So, the, I mean, obviously, you quite rightly pointed out to us that uh, being the first of a, a two-parter, some of the things that take us out of the story may in actual fact be there because they pay off in the second part. Um, 
I agree about most of the special effects. I think there were some very good special effects, especially the um, uh, the very subtle ones where the Jennifer characters pleading with them are 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 saying, you know, that she is human, and as she's sort of pounding her chest, saying she's human, her face switches between this fluid-looking material and and the real Jennifer, and you know, almost as though she's pounding herself into shape. But yeah, I didn't. I did not like the uh, the the scene at the toilets where, because we, to my mind, they'd said how much of a replication these were of a, a human. Indeed, they were living flesh. So I'm assuming they've got skeletons and this, that, and the other. Now, where I can believe that they're in this sort of semi-state of flux and whatever, and I, I didn't quite. I didn't mind the rotating head bit, but that sort of uh, serpent-like snake neck of one of them. Or to Mr. Me, Fantastic type move. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. Uh, well, I'll let other people speak, but the point is that for me, I didn't particularly like that. But I, sh- I quite enjoyed this episode, and I've got oh, <laughs> uh, sorry, I've, I've got the uh, British Film Awards, and I've just seen River Song in the audience. <laughs> oh, it's a bit of an obs- <laughs> it's quite a bizarre moment. I've just got the the TV on, like there's River Song. Uh, so it's River Song, not, not Alex Kingston, but it's River Song. No, Alex Kingston. Well, I <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Alex King. uh, and for Ian, she's looking very nice. Um, right. Uh, so uh, it's a science fiction-y thing, um, and I think I should have enjoyed it more, but I, uh, I think I will like it more. It reminded me of uh, episodes like 42, um, and it also reminds me of uh, another science fiction series. I'm not going to spoil it, but if anybody here in the room has seen the BBC series Outcasts, uh, there was um, some sort of familiar ring to it in that. But I, I'll let Taras uh, have his thoughts now. Um, but, yeah, I think I think it really could be a good two-parter. Oh, yeah, one more thing I'd just say. I did feel as though the cliff, the writer had made the, the fact that he was going to end on this really big cliffhanger of stepping out of the darkness, the doppelganger, the ganger of the Doctor. Um, and because he didn't want to introduce that earlier on, he wanted that to be the cliffhanger, I felt as though we all felt that was coming perhaps before it arrived and maybe not long-time Doctor Who watchers were that surprised at that point. But really, it, it did leave an absolute great... Um, you know, cliffhanger, but perhaps that could have occurred earlier and then we could have moved the story on a little bit more. But all in all, um, uh, the the chap who wrote it, the the chap who wrote the uh, Fear Her episode, um, I, I believe even he was hoping that uh, fans would warm to him having Fear Her not getting universal acceptance. Well, also that, you need to remember that Fear Her was a last-minute replacement for an episode that uh, couldn't get done in that season. Yeah, it wasn't too bad an episode for you. I think I think the young actress, sorry to put her foot, but the, the young actress that was the main character there was one of the rare occasions when the casting hasn't been good. We were mentioning it even last week. The actual casting of child actors has been phenomenal during the, the course of Doctor Who since it's come back. And maybe that was one of the the less uh, less good decisions. Mm-hmm. 
Taurus. Yeah, I thought that uh, this was a, a nice change of pace, and it's tough for any episode to follow uh, the episode we had last week. Indeed. And uh, it kind of, like, slowed down the pace a little, because we're kind of in a, in a relatively large supposed monastery, but uh, the actual rooms are usually claustrophobic, so it kind of, like, has this dual... Uh, feeling where in some places you have this claustrophobic feel while in others the the sets are kind of a bit more wide open. So it kind of like depends on the scene that's required, what, what feeling you get. And it kind of has like this uh, double uh, uh, what undertone kind of running through it in that sense where you have the interior and the exterior scenes and all sorts of uh, other uh, parallels going on, in addition to the obvious uh, duplicating of the, of the guest cast and, and then in the final minutes of our lead character. I thought this was, uh, despite uh, the, the problem of following the doctor's wife, that this was a very good episode. Its pacing was a bit slower, but that was kind of like to build up the suspense toward the uh, the final cliffhanger. And it's kind of obvious to a lot of people that that's kind of what they were working towards in this episode. Mm. Yeah. All right. It's difficult, isn't it, when you have a story that basically... Um, I could almost have seen this done as a special, I mean, like the waters of Mars, that sort of thing where, you know, it, it, it perhaps could have been told as a 90-minute story, but or some, sorry, 70-minute story or whatever. But again, we don't know what's to come. Um, the, the, the story's certainly building, and it's got the ingredients of uh, a classic show. But I, I've got a feeling this is what they call um, a slow burner, really. I've got a feeling that, um, like... Um, gridlock or 42 and ones like that they're one of those ones where the more you watch it the more you'll catch because there were some quite um quite a lot of dialogue things um yeah and and it was quite interesting the way it was filmed um when again this is it's charlie p here he he was commenting on the fact that like when they go into the monastery you see them walking past a little porthole wall in the, in mm -hmm. the wall and yeah. you see uh, rory peering out and, and you get that sense as though you know this is an episode being watched either being observed uh, and it was very familiar to the, the 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 sliding door thing that the um the um eye patch lady um is referred to, and I believe in the actual closing credits, she was referred to as the iPad. Yes, lady. it was. Yes, yes. Which um, you know, I was calling her that as well, so I was kind of you know surprised that that's what they're calling calling her in the credits. But as far as that that hole and peering through that, I just took that as foreshadowing because later on we see Rory peering through that hole, looking at um, the the flesh version of um, of Jennifer. Yeah. Plus, it's interesting how Rory's character develops in this story where we have a vulnerable female character looking to Rory for assistance and he grows a backbone. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Certainly going to change the dynamic, isn't it? I mean, uh, 
Well, it's, it's interesting where this is going to lead. You know, it's it's going to be interesting seeing, you know, next week what, the, you know, how this is going to develop with Amy and, and, and him and whether because um, it's usually um, the other way around. It's usually Rory that has these twinges of jealousy or or, you know, concern over Amy. So now it might be vice versa. All right. Well, um, so who watched Fish and Chips? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot going on in the chat. I mean, uh, difficult to read it all out, but Perry G puts uh, Rory might be sympathetic because uh, since he remembers being plastic. <laughs> uh, and of course, this is the actual. I didn't think yeah, of that. that is a good point. Yeah, I mean, some people were saying that you know, is this the birth of the nesting? But of course, they were they were plastic. So it's not the birth of them. Some people were speculating on forums. I've seen is this the birth of the Sontarans because they're cloned. Uh, and I don't think it's that. No, no. So, I mean, it's well, certainly one got thing people that talking. I was think, one thing that I was thinking of was uh, there's a line in uh, the uh, New Earth where the the Sisters of Plenitude are saying that they grew their own flesh. So this may be a primitive version of, of mm-hmm. that. Excellent. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to get to um, people in the queue. We're going to play another clip, and uh, I should remind people about our phone number here. You can call in during the live show while we're recording live. If you call in while you're listening to this after this podcast goes out, we won't be here, but um, right now we're here. So if you're listening live right now, it's 724-444-7444. And the call, I, the, the call ID number for the show is 23358. And also just um, we just made a mention of the chat that goes on while we do our live shows. If you log in to TalkShoe.com while we are doing the live show, you even if you don't want to you know, call in, you can just uh, listen to the show live and be a part of the chat that goes on. There's a, um, a chat room that goes on simultaneously with our show and you can you know, participate that way, too. All right. So. Um, Oh, and I should also remind people that we are, once again, we'll be taking Podshock supporting subscribers. We'll get preference in the in the um, in the phone queues. So if you are a subscriber, you'll be bumped up in the queue. Where's Jen? I haven't seen her. I swear. But look, I'm her. I'm real. You're a copy. We've worked together for two years. I work with Jennifer Lucas, not you. Okay. The flesh was never merely moss. These are not copies. The storm has hardwired them. They are becoming people. This circus has gone long enough. Oh, great. You see, that is just so typically me. 40,000 volts would kill any one of us, so I guess she'll work on gangers. They're monsters. Mistakes. They have to be destroyed. Give me the probe, Cleve. We always have to take charge, don't we, Miranda? Even when we don't really know what the hell is going on. You stopped his heart. He had a heart! Jen? What happened to Buzz will happen to us all if we trust you! Wait, wait, just, just wait! Look at what you've done. If it's war, then it's war. It's us and them now. If we want to live, 
then it's time to go to war. Cleves, the most fortified and defendable room in the monastery. The chapel. Thank you. Only one way in, stone walls, two feet thick. You've crossed one out of a line, Cleves. You've killed one of them. They're coming back. In a big way. Rory! Jen's out there. She's out there and she's on her own. What if she's got any sense and she's hiding? Rory! I can't leave her out there! Rory! We're fighting ourselves. Yes, it's insane and it's about to get even more insaner. Is that a word? Show yourself! Right now! Doctor! We are trapped in here and Rory is out there with them. Correct in every respect, Pond. It's frightening, unexpected, frankly a total utter splattering mess on the carpet, but I am certain, 100% certain, that we can work this out. Trust me. I'm the Doctor. Trust me, I'm the doctor. <laughs> and it's going to get even more insanerer here. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, now that makes those posters mean a lot more. Yeah, well, that that goes back to uh, last series, doesn't that, that? That sort of that catchphrase, you know, that's... Wasn't that the 11th hour where he first uses that? Yeah, I don't know. there was another reference, wasn't he? He, he, he used the O by gum by gum lad, which he's used before, hasn't he? I can't remember which episode it was, but he definitely uses that Yorkshire and never saying that again. <laughs> yeah, there's some interesting moments here with, with the dialogue. As you said, Dave, before, I, I know I only had a chance to watch it for the second time just right before our live show right now, and you, you definitely catch more there's there's the dialogue is very rich so that you, you you know watching it over again you can catch things that you may have missed the first time around or, the, or even the second time around mm. so um as i was saying before that clip is that we're going to be taking we, we got a lot of callers on so we want to thank everyone for calling in and we have uh, of those callers some of you are Pachak supporting subscribers and we are always grateful for your support and uh, you know, for in kind, we tried to give you some perks. And one of that is, um, you know, we'll bump you up in the queue during our live show. And we can't do this show without our supporting subscribers. So we're very much appreciative of that. And if you want to learn how to become a Pachak supporting subscriber, simply go to our website, pachak.net, or you can go to arttrap.com. And on the top there, there's a banner ad for uh becoming a Pachak supporting subscriber. And if you click on that, that will give you more information. It's a, for a low monthly fee, you become a Pachak supporting subscriber and it really helps us uh, continue the show. And it does, um, you know, make a, a great difference, as I said before. So, so let's see now in our queue, we have a returning caller from last week is Kobo474. Welcome back. Hey, all. I hope you're doing well. I am, thank you, Lewis. Um, I love this episode, but it wasn't quite as awesome as I thought the doctor's wife was. Mm-hmm. Well, now, remember, you've only seen first the first half of the story, so maybe next week, once we see the Almost People, which is the continuation, the conclusion of the story, maybe you might feel better. I mean, I feel different. True. But I thought it was a bit like... The Hungry Earth and, um, in Cold Blood, it had that feel 
druid as well. I, I know others have made that comparison too. Uh, I don't know if it's just the the, the feel of it or I, the story wise. It's you know, it, it's it's very different except for the the fact that you know they um, they encounter another. Uh, uh, well, I don't want to say new race because the, that's not wasn't a new race, but it was um they they encounter um beings that that, that they need to prove that they're they they have a right to exist. Well, it's another one of those us versus them based under siege type stories. I yeah, think that's what I guess. <laughs> and who's the real baddie? Us or them? <laughs> well, it's interesting that right. they they play on that because the you know one group says you know it's 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 now it's um, I'm paraphrasing here, but they say something to the fact that it's 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 us and them now, or or us or them, or something like that. And then the other group says the same thing because they're in a sense of the same people you know yeah, yeah, we yeah all, probably we all interesting are. is whether the flesh has its own identity beyond what was imprinted by the uh, the characters I, I get a feeling that they do only because um, when um, re- Jennifer realizes that she is one and then she comes out of the bathroom stall and she says you know we need to be able to live or something like that it it sounds like she's speaking as a whole as a collective whole of this new flesh i don't know what we want to call this flesh race yes well the one of the things that we 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 glossed over slightly is the fact that they said uh the the one of them said that they'd only been um, out of unconscious for a few minutes, but the doctor thinks it's more like an hour. So we do not know what oh, happened. I mean, oh, go on, go on. Sorry, it's your turn. You go ahead. I'm sorry, my microphone headset slipping, and I was trying to get my roommate to fix it, but I wasn't trying to interrupt you, David. I'm really sorry for that. Don't be silly. It's your turn. Go on, give her a head. What I was, what I was also going to say is in. Oh, more like, um, this one did feel like a Doctor Who episode in the dialogue, especially the line where the Doctor's like, we stopped. How's everybody doing on the calm front? I felt that was so forth, Doctor. I mean, I could picture Tom Baker saying that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And um, like you said, this episode is so rich with the dialogue. Like as soon as the doctor steps outside the tortoise, he's like, "Oh, good, a cockerel." I love cockerels. That was amazing. <laughs> it almost felt like something the second doctor would say. I, I find Matt Smith's Doctor encompasses uh, many of the reminders of previous Doctors on, on occasion. He definitely does seem more of an aggregation of past Doctors, isn't it, where each Doctor that we've had prior to him seems to have had, you know, tried to, to take one element of a character and, and be more, take the persona in one direction. But uh, I must admit, Matt, maybe, I don't know, but he... he, he you know, you almost—it's like uh, eleven doctors in a sack, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I don't know if that's a conscious effort on his part, or or Stephen Moffat's part, or or if it's just coincidental. 
or if it's just the writing kind yeah. of pulls that out of him. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I was thinking too. Because one of the one of the first things Stephen Moffat said when he became the head writer is it's not ten different people or eleven different people playing the same doctor. It's it's the same 10 or person. Eleven different versions yeah. of the same man. Yeah, I, I, well, you need to remember that. That's a good point. Yeah, and I, I think Stephen Moffat tries to emphasize that since he has taken over as lead writer and, and executive producer of the series, that it is the same person. So that's why you know I think we do get these nods to previous doctors more often now and recognition that it's the same person. You know, even in last week's story where he talks about how. You know what he said when he first saw the TARDIS, and um, I, I and I made a mention of it in our show last week. It was just, um, you know, I don't want to say humorous, but it was just um, it, it brought a smile to my face th- imagining the first Doctor saying that that those words. So, w- what else did you think about this story, um, as, as far as um, um, I mean, what we've seen of it so far? I thought the cliffhanger could have been really great. But did they have to telegraph it so much? I mean, yeah. like, really? No, no, the no, 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 no I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I think they, they did telegraph it too much. I think anybody who's at all into Dot Two was thought, well, we know what's coming now. I mean, he's tempted fate. It, 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 it could have been perhaps kept from us a bit more i think yeah i well i i thought the same thing i said for me i i think the the, the big tip off was once he realized he was unconscious for longer than than what they were saying and to me that that was the big clue for me and i think maybe if if they didn't reveal that so early on in the episode maybe it would have worked better or it would have been more of a surprise i don't know you know, it's it's hindsight is twenty twenty. Well, maybe that's the obvious thing to distract us from something else it that's could going be. on in this episode. It could be. Yeah. I mean, the doctor did say it was probing his mind when he was. Yeah. Well, that, that's how we assume they got the imprint, you know, of him. You know, since he wasn't one of the people strapped in, you know, using them, you know, previously. So we're assuming that's how they got his his mind, so to speak. Um, and also, could the flesh be the one killed by the astronaut? Well, well we don't see that. that that's what I was alluding to before. We, you know, until we know how the story concludes, we don't know what happens. You know, we we can't really start speculating about the the, the character's future until we know where the story goes. You know, until we see the almost people next week. You know, it's it's hard to speculate. You know, I think at the end of next week. If we know, you know, if this, we we will be better suited to make that, those type of speculations. I agree, but I know it's fun. To, it's fun to speculate now, but <laughs> so overall, how would you would you give it a TARDIS rating? Um, I hate giving the first half of yeah, I I agree. Rating, but if but if I had to, it'd be four and a half because the cliffhanger that wasn't a cliffhanger is the only thing that prevented it from being a five. Mm-hmm. 
Right, but uh, I mean, I suppose we've got to remember that there will be a lot of very new viewers that perhaps can't pick up on some of these signals, but um, I, I take your point, but it sounds as though you rate it pretty highly. I, I, I mean, I think it... I, I don't think I could go higher than a... I'm between three and a half and four, but it could certainly go up to four and a half. We always ask for cliffhangers. We always want long double parties, <laughs> but they do give us some frustrations and, unfortunately, occasionally disappointments. Mm-hmm. All right, well, thank you once again, Kobo, for 7-4, and we always appreciate your input. And so maybe, uh, hopefully, uh, you can come back next week and we can give your overall thoughts about the whole story. Oh, please do. I mean, I would bump it up to a four and a half instead of a three and a half or even lower. All right. Well, thanks again. We got other callers in the queue, so we just want to get to everyone. All right, no problem, Lewis. All right, take care. Bye. Take it easy. Mm-hmm. Bye. Next in the queue, as far as Podshock supporting subscribers, is uh, is Perry. Are you there, Perry? i got to get to the cockerel before all hell breaks loose. <laughs> I thought I'd get to say that again. Well, welcome back to the show. Good to have you uh, on the show once again. Thanks, yeah, fun to be here. Um yeah, I think that was my favorite line from, from the episode was about how he never thought he'd get to say that again. <laughs> get back to the cockerel before all hell breaks loose. <laughs> but, um, no I, need I thought, to get Ponzi, it's just Gunch. <laughs> yeah, that was a good <laughs> one. <laughs> I also liked in the beginning there was rock and roll in, in the TARDIS and, and darts. I was turning into a pub there for a second there, it seemed like. Um, oh, oh, yeah, the very beginning when they're on board the TARDIS and, um, uh, the, yeah, they're playing darts. Yeah, Rory says he hits a double top, and, and uh, Amy says it's the wrong side of the wire. And we had a little argument about that. Yeah, that, that's something new that we haven't seen before. Yeah. It's, it's good yeah. to see that they, you know, because you, you begin to wonder, about well, you, there's probably lots of rooms in the TARDIS for recreation, but you begin to wonder, you know, what they do, you know, in between adventures. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I definitely thought that was fun. That they, it was sort of the opening there with the rock and roll and everything. And another interesting note in that scene is that we don't hear the the cloister bells, but we hear you know this other um, klaxon that 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 just when the ship gets hits the solar flares or gets sucked in or whatever. So that was an interesting choice there. And the doctor was just about to say something, and when it goes off. Oh, right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he was about to say something important, it seemed like. Yeah, that's... And Amy and Rory off. Well, th- th- and that brings me to another point, is um, the doctor is still scanning, uh, with the TARDIS, still scanning Amy to yeah. f- to find out if she's, you know, pregnant or not. How long does the scan yeah. take? You could just... Yeah. How, I mean, isn't it just a couple hours? I mean, I don't know. I don't. I mean, but to take a home pregnancy test, you, put, you know, if you get a plus symbol or a negative symbol, I mean, yeah. it's... This, you've, never heard a, you've never heard of false positives, have you, Lewis? Well, I've... But this TARDIS scan is taking forever and a day. Yeah, no, that, that's... One of the things that I didn't like about the episode is that these major plot arcs just kind of you know, they, they stuck them in again, you know, just for a minute or two. Oh, yeah, let's be reminded about this fact that Amy may or may not be pregnant. Let's be reminded about the eye patch lady, you know, but it really didn't seem to have much to do with the, um, the episode itself. No, it's, it's sort of, as you just said, reminders. Yeah. 
It also, I'm just talking about it now, reminded me uh, I was listening to an episode of uh, of the Cultum Collective about an hour ago or an hour before this podcast. That sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, I missed it today, but I was listening. I was listening to one from a couple of weeks ago. So there's a plug for you, Dave. And um, they were talking about the tar- the color of the Doctor's bow tie in different episodes, mm-hmm. and how it was purple in a previous episode. And the the it, I was just thinking the the colors of the scan of the pregnancy scan go from red to blue to red to blue. <laughs> red and blue make purple anyway. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, just a. I can't remember what his blow tie was in this episode, by the way. That I'm having to think what it was. I think it was blue, but I could. Oh right. I'm just remembering the the very last scene when the uh, when the ganger doctor pops out and says, Mm -hmm. "Trust me, I'm the doctor." He kind of tugs on his bow tie. I'm pretty sure it was blue. Right. So, is the bow tie indicative of whether they're going into the future or the past? That's what. Somebody was pointing out, but uh, that's what it seemed like last series, and this series not so much. And uh, I haven't been keeping track of that myself, to be honest. So, what did you think um, of the story, or what the story so far that we've seen so far? I I thought it was a well-paced story, as some other people have said, but I did feel like it was a lot like the Hungry Earth. Um, this us against them sort of thing, and who's really the bad guy? Um, I thought that was okay, um, but it was a little too much like the the Hungry Earth in my mind. It just felt a lot like it. Um, I was a little bit confused about why Rory was so concerned about um, Jen as opposed to Amy or, or or himself. And then I just realized, you know, in the chat that it's probably because Rory remembers being plastic. And so he's really sympathetic toward um, Ganger, Jen, you know, and how she feels, because that's how he felt as, you know, uh, Rory the Roman. Well, I, I also in, thought that... In the in the Pandora Open. Yeah. I mean, I, I also thought that he just developed this this relationship, in a sense, with her, that he got... He was there to, you know, when, when she was going through her memories, talking about uh, walking, getting lost on the moors and, um, you know, um, all that, I think, is making her more of a person, as a, more of a human, to, in Rory's eyes, you know, more of as a sentient being, as a, a real person than, than the other people, you know, than, than Amy or perhaps the doctor has been exposed to. Yeah. And another thing about Rory I, I want to mention is that He's around all these people that are having medical problems, but he never says, oh, wait, I'm a nurse. Let me check you out. I, I, maybe he did once. Um, in, yeah. He did last, it did in the pirate one, didn't he? That's right. That's ago. right. He yeah. did. He did do that. But but here, Jen, you know, when he thinks she's human and she says, oh, I don't feel very well. I'm going to go to the toilet. And they go and she seems to be sick. He doesn't pipe in and say, you know, I'm a nurse. I could, you know, maybe see what's wrong. Uh, instead, he just stands there and says, I got your back. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, that, you, that. you you would think that maybe his he he would put his medical skills to more use, but maybe yeah. that's that's a probably maybe a failing of of the writer's bible if there's one you know for the series or something like that you know as far as having the writers yeah. Yeah. work that yeah, in. Yeah, you feel Harry Sullivan would have definitely done that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I'm also very interested to find out why or how the Doctor is so familiar with this technology because he keeps talking about it. Well, Somebody that's, pointed out he already knows yeah. that they're almost people. 
coming. Well, that's the whole thing that, uh, you know, we, we definitely know the doctor knows more than he's letting on, you know, than, yeah. than, than we know in this story. Yeah. So I think that will hopefully be revealed in, in next pe- the next episode. Yeah, I mean, my wife pointed this out. She was the first person to, to say this out loud yesterday, but she said that, you know, it's one of these flesh or gangers that get killed, you know, at the beginning of the season opener, the series opener, and uh, and not, you know, the real doctor. It's the ganger of the doctor. Well, that's and, what uh, people are speculating. But, again, I, I want to yeah. hold off on that until we see how the story concludes. Yeah. What, you know, what, what if... Um, the, it could be that they're trying to make us think that. It could be, and take yeah. it in a totally different direction. Yeah, yeah. You never know. But I have a feel. I have a feeling that yeah, this will, this idea will come up in the second half of the series. Though, at least the flesh will come back, and and the idea that the doctor knows about this technology it kind of hints at the fact that maybe he's dealt with it before, or will be later, or, or something. Yeah, again, I'm not arguing against it or, or, or for it. I'm just saying we just need to kind of at least wait and see how the story concludes before jumping into that speculation. Yeah, I don't we, like we, speculating, but that one, that one kind of rang true. When, uh, when uh, would you have the old in Canton, Delaware, whatever, saying that is most definitely a doctor and he is most definitely dead? But, yeah, and the fact that, well, the other thing that makes me think that is how... You know, how upset the doctor was when um, this one ganger got killed and said he had a heart, had a human heart, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I, don't, I don't know. But like, like you said, it's too early to speculate. But I think, it, I think they opened the door to that speculation, whether they did it on purpose, as Teresa said, or, or, or not. We'll find out, I guess. Yeah. Well, even that was Rory in that scene when, because um, even he didn't offer any medical assistance. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but it, I, I think the best thing that Rory did in this episode was jumping on the, uh, on the uh, human cleave who had yeah. the, uh, the electric uh, uh, yes. cattle prong yeah. or whatever we mm-hmm. want to call that. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. That, sorry, I was saying well, that was another thing that reminded me of the Waters of Mars. This character reminded me of the the lady who was in yeah. charge of yeah. uh, the the base there. The, well, very strong uh, character. The one. Well, said. Waters of Mars had that whole like alien feel to it. You know, the alien. When I say alien, I'm talking about the the movie Alien from 1979. You know, where mm. and I this is sort of reminiscence here as well. So it had that Waters of Mars feeling, which had that alien feeling as well where even the, the the like the cattle rod thing was directly out of alien the movie as well because it's you know they that's the weapon they devised originally to, you know against the when they thought it was a small little alien it was only things that took you out of it i mean one of the things i had said earlier was uh, that you know the strange elongated neck thing i mean uh, was there anything that actually took you out of it or were you mostly satisfied um, I, I, I I agree about the elongated neck thing. I think, and I also agree that they hinted too much at what the cliffhanger would be. I think everybody everybody saw that coming. Um, but although I did really like the cliffhanger when it finally did come. Oh yeah. Found myself giving a couple of thumbs up to the, to the television <laughs> set. <laughs> but no, I mean, I mean, overall, I thought it was a it was a pretty good episode, and uh, with with a with a few minor plot points. But um, we'll probably find out more about missing plot points when Darth uh, gets on the line here. 
So would you want to give it a overall tortoise grown rating? Oh, right now I feel like maybe a, a a three to a three and a half at the most on this one. Mm-hmm. And that may be because it's coming off the heels of um, of the doctor's wife, uh, or, and that it's not quite finished yet the story. So. Yeah, I think I think he was up against hiding to nothing following that. And just to mention that in text earlier, Tardis Girl gave it three and a half. Seventh Doctor gave it three and a half, and Captain Rum gave it three and a half. So you're in good company there. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you once again, Perry. We always appreciate your yeah. input. Yeah, it was fun to be here. So hopefully you can join us next week and we'll get your final opinion on this story. And and yeah, then maybe we can speculate further about where things might go from here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Cheers. Here, cheers. All right, we have a few more people in the queue. If again to get yourself in the queue, uh, you can call, or you can, you know, you can also use the talk. The talk um, shoe has their own um, uh, phone, if you will. It's called Shoe Phone. You can connect that way, but you can uh, go to talkshoe.com and uh, get a free account, and you can join the chat session there. And also, by doing so, when you do call in, you'll be able to uh, put yourself in the queue um, as well. Because if you just call in, it's some, as a um, you know as a moderator here, it's hard to know uh, you know if you just listening to the show or if you just want if you want to participate or not. So uh, that's why we always recommend uh, if you can, if it's possible, to go on the TalkShoe site as well and become a get a free account, and you know you can. Put yourself in the queue that way. So I should remind you of the number. It's 724-444-7444. And the number, the call ID number is 23358. And while I have you and I'm reminding you of things, I do also want to remind you about Audible, which is a provider of free well, you can get a free um, digital book with this offer, but I want to remind you about Audible being a provider of digital audiobooks. They have over 85,000 titles to choose from in every genre, including science fiction and fantasy and um, everything else under the sun as well, from romance to business to whatever. Uh, Audible titles play on iPhones, Kindles, Androids, over 500 devices for listening anytime, anywhere. And for you listeners of Doctor Who Podshock, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial to so you have a chance to check out their service. So to download your free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com slash podshock. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podshock for your free audiobook. And they have a huge amount of Doctor Who titles. You don't have to choose the Doctor Who titles. But again, if you go to that web address, check out their titles. They, um, they have, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the number, it was like 180 different or so different Doctor Who titles, but there's um, everything else as well, um, other science fiction as well, fantasy, and again, it doesn't have to be any any of those categories. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash podshock. All right, so uh, let's see. I think the remain. I don't know if we have any other supporting subscribers in the queue. To my knowledge, I don't see any, so I think the next one up will be Darth Skeptical. Uh, again, if you are one and I'm not aware of it, just email me your email address that you use to sign up as a subscriber. And also put yourself in the queue so that I know you want to participate. Welcome back, Darth Skeptical. Hello. How are you? 
Oh, you fooled me by not unmuting me but saying hello. I, How dare you, sir? Didn't I say hello? <laughs> you did, but then you waited to unmute me after that, so I couldn't talk. No, no, maybe hello. I think maybe it was a delay on TalkShoe's part. Oh, that's what it is. It's that damn lady you gotta wait for. <laughs> I don't like her. You are now sure. being unmuted. That's true. <laughs> it almost sounds like you're about to die, but in a very genteel way. She's actually the eye patch gr- lady, is who she is. Who she is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I think if you go back in the archives of this very podcast, you will find a, an episode from 2006 where we were discussing you'll uh, fear her and uh, I was on record then as, as really like it as, as quite enjoying the work of Matthew Graham and I think that he gets a tremendous amount of stick for that episode and doesn't deserve it because it's a finely constructed piece of drama and if it's you know not your cup of tea who was cast in it or how the special effects went down that's one thing, but that has nothing to do with Matthew Graham's actual writing skills. Oh, yeah. And Sorry, can I just scribble something mm. down while you say that? Ha, ha, ha. No scribbles. But, uh, <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Only if I can get some orange marmalade. Um, <laughs> but um, if you look at that episode, you see the strengths of Matthew Graham, and I, I think that they were echoed and maybe amplified this time around uh, in that you know, very much like Stephen Moffat, he takes a very ordinary thing and uh, turns it into something that kids are afraid of. Um, you know, in that episode, it's drawing. You know, every kid draws to some extent, and that's what comes back and, and becomes essentially the pseudo enemy of that episode. And I think here you have the very childlike uh, concern of what would I be like if there was another one of me. Um, you know, and this is it's so obviously a, a child's concern because it's, you know, the the stuff of comic books, doppelgangers, evil twins, they've been there in comic books long before there was the, the you know, sort of iconic mirror-mirror episode of Star Trek that everybody thinks of as sort of the start of the evil twin syndrome. And I, I think, you know, this is very much like what Stephen Moffat is doing with Weeping Angels. Um where you take a kid's game, a kid's obsession, and you turn it into something that you're going to be afraid of. But I think this was incredibly effective to me because I was actually scared at a couple of points because I didn't know what the hell was going on. I thought I had it figured out, you know, after the teaser and that it was going to be very, I don't know, in a, in a sense kind of lame, kind of just an exact copy of um, the... Battlestar Galactica, uh, you know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Battlestar Galactica, but you know how they're mm-hmm. those um, humans that are in the um, the sort of bath water or yeah. whatever that are connected up to the, the ships that allow them to do the, those, the jumps. Yeah, the, the, the Cylons. The, the, the Cylons. The, the, the humanoid Cylons. Right. Yeah. And I thought it was kind of going to be, you know, something like that where you're downloading a person into a, a new body and that whole thing. But, you know, it wasn't that. I mean, he turned it, he kept turning the mythos of the, the doppelganger on its head so that at the end of the day, this isn't quite like 
Blade Runner, though it's reminiscent of it. It's not quite mm-hmm. Battlestar Galactica, though it's reminiscent yeah. of it. it. It's not quite, um, I think we'll find out, you know, Enemy of the World, though it does give probably Matt Smith the chance to act, you know, in a different way. Um, and, and so I think that that's incredibly clever. And uh, another strength that I think that you see, if you really objectively look at Fear Her, um, is this amazing talent that he has, Matthew Graham, of establishing good interpersonal relationships amongst the TARDIS crew. You know, that he, he didn't create those characters. They're characters that were served up to him on a platter and he had to use them. But I think that the writing of the Rose Tenth Doctor relationship is extremely strong in Fear Her. And it encapsulates what that relationship is about in less than the time that the episode has to run. And you find out neat little things about each one of those characters within the the context of Fear Her. And I think here, too, you're getting, you know, new things. Um, You know, in Fear Her, one of the cool things was the very first shot of the TARDIS materializing and how the Doctor... Misses it slightly and has to, you know, turn the TARDIS around by a quarter, by 90 degrees, so that they can have access and get out of the door. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, he you, claims in this episode that he's good at parking. Well, there's that. Um, <laughs> but but the thing I was thinking of is that you know here what we see is sort of an innovation about the interior of the TARDIS. That you know we have that lovely scene where there's rock and roll going. That there's a dartboard, which I just thought was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know they were doing something you know kind of casual. Maybe we'll go to get fish and chips right now. I just love that that we got a little bit of the mundane and ordinary yeah. life inside of the TARDIS because you don't see that much. Yeah. You got to think, you know, how do these people become friends if they're not spending time together while they're traveling around in the TARDIS? Yeah, that, so that's what that I was, was saying before with with Perry was the mm. same thing that I enjoyed that aspect of it. Absolutely. Um, but this and, is the second uh, time in two episodes where we have the doctor trying to get rid of his companions. Well, there's that. I mean, there's that lovely thing that's going on in both in the writing and in Matt Smith's portrayal of, you know, he's not telling you the whole truth. You know that there's something else lurking there under the water, um, and and that's very clever. That makes you hang on to every word within the episode since we established very soon, you know, within the first 30 seconds of seeing Matt Smith that he is playing this game of obfuscation. Um, and so uh, for me, I, I was completely at rapt attention trying to see what other little clues that he was going to give. And I maybe I'm a little bit slow when I watch this episode, but I didn't particularly see at the outset of the episode that the end of the episode was going to be a reveal of the Doctor as a doppelganger. Um, I I thought that that you know, initial scene where he's being, I guess, investigated by the flesh substance in the, in the vat could have gone a lot of different ways. It didn't necessarily mean that it was, you know, creating a new Doctor. So I was a little bit surprised by that, although I, I think it was telegraphed for me a little bit before the end, um, but not well, you, you have to. I would imagine when you saw the hand and and uh, and it was saying "trust me," you, that pie had to tip you off right there. Well, I would have thought so as well, but I mean that's not completely at the. Um, that's towards the end. You know, that's, this, 
this is it's pulling another thing from yeah. the Daleks in Manhattan episode where the energy went through the doctor and contaminated the Daleks, the Daleks, yeah. the human Daleks. So this mm-hmm. is kind of like the energy going through the doctor again when he was mm-hmm. fiddling with the controls at the top and probably infected the uh, the flesh. I think that's a very good point. Uh, and, you know, I think you and I... Us, if I remember correctly, we both rather enjoy Dalek in, in Manhattan, so I don't mind that backlink at all. Um, but uh, there, there are just so many extraordinary things here, and I, you know, we do have to point out a little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff because I, I got to tell you, if you don't watch that Doctor Who Confidential regularly because it's hard to get, or just because you don't have the time of day or whatever, I, to me, this is one of the best episodes of Doctor Who Confidential because. They spend so much time with the director, and he's explaining this shot of using motion control cameras. Uh, that is, it's extraordinary. I mean, it's extraordinary. First of all, that he establishes that Doctor Who has never used motion control cameras before ever. I find that extraordinary. My mouth literally hit the floor. I was. I, I, could, I thought I could they look. used it for that model shot in uh, Trial of a Time Lord. They, they, thank you, because I, 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 there had to have been something. They must. I, have I'm done not it. sure, they but I think to. so. They, they had to have used. They did, because I know I remember. There's, there's a making of that shot, and how else are you going to do that? But, but by motion control, because the background is relatively stable. So yeah, whatever. But still. If this is the but second time, this, this that's is still probably referring to doing it with people. So that 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 adds an additional layer. Well, I mean, I think his exact phrase was, "Since uh, Doctor Who returned with Christopher Eccleston," because he does use that phrase. So, in BBC Wales terms, this is the first time that they've used motion control, right. which is still, frankly. Amazing, because motion control is not like the big expensive thing that it was back when you made Star Wars and you invented motion control. I mean, it's it's relatively commonplace to use it, and it's extraordinary that this is the first time. And what's what's even greater about it is you wouldn't know at all. I mean, it's so seamless. Well, that, that a lot depends on the director and the mm. director's comfort level with that sort of technology. And, yeah. And I say that's why people okay. disagree with the, how good the effects were. I think people only notice the effects when they don't work. I mean, I think as you were saying that, that uh, this is an effect that works so well that it passes you by and you just watch the story. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, obviously, Lewis, you have an affection for Urshock or else this wouldn't be called Podshot. And Urshock, of course, directed by Peter Grimwade, and he, he's got a reputation for having been a very technically-minded director who maybe didn't uh, pay as much attention to soothing his actors' egos or addressing their concerns as much as other directors. But the thing about it was he was able to get an incredibly complicated shoot done in 1981 with Urshock that probably no other director was able to do. And, and what strikes me about watching this episode of Doctor Who Confidential is that um, I, I forget this, Julian Simpson, our director this week, mm-hmm. uh, projects a Grimwade vibe. Um, and that, that's not derogatory because, uh, you know, I have a great deal of respect for, you know, George Lucas, who is another somewhat reticent director, but who absolutely understands story better than almost anybody else in the world. 
and understands how to use uh, technology to achieve a good storytelling effect. And there was just something about the way in which this guy, Julian Simpson, is explaining his use of the motion control camera and other things as well that just led me to believe this guy is on the ball. That they, This guy is in a, in a different class as a director than other people that we've seen come through, than, than even Richard Clark, who we saw last, that last week. Um, and I... I just really liked what he got out of the actors, and the actors were fabulous. You know, I think we talked some a couple of weeks ago about, um, you know, you have who's the guy from Downton Abbey um, that was in um, uh, the Pirates episode? Oh yeah, the the, the um, captain. Help me, who is this guy? Um, Hugh yeah, Bonneville. He's he's the big name dude of the. First part of the season, right? I mean, he is ostensibly the biggest name star, guest star that they yeah, have Hugh, had. Hugh, Hugh, Hugh Bonneville. Bonneville. Hugh Bonneville. Exactly. That's what I said. Yeah. Um, you know, right. we, that, that that casting got a lot of uh, play, right? But for me, the big star is the girl who's playing the. Man, I forgot her name. I forgot. Sarah the Smart star again. Jennifer. No, not well. She's a pretty big star too. Uh, Rachel no, Cassidy, yeah. who plays Cleves. That's the one. Rachel Cassidy. She is, you know, she's removing wallpaper, which is uh, a a really funny. It's sort of like the uh, the forty uh, hello thirty rock, um, sort of the, a behind the scenes slice of life drama or comedy about how they they make a comedy show or whatever. And she's, to my mind, she's higher profile than Hugh Bonneville just because I've watched some stuff that she's d- done. And for me, she's the best casting guest cast um, that we have, I think, had this season, even including Mark Shepard, who really didn't get as much to do as I would have liked him to do in the first two episodes. But you know, she's clearly the linchpin of whatever's going down, uh, you know, because she, she creates the, the war that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I just I just love the way that she instantly creates character. You completely believe it. And so when you get to the point that I think you just played a clip that had it in there uh, where she says to herself, oh, that's so typically me, <laughs> you buy it. Yeah. Because yeah. you've already met – she's created that character so successfully that there's nothing else that that woman could have said at that point but those words. And but, I think that she's just has, has done a bang up job. I, I know, I agree. I think, and, and she did it so efficiently as well. It's it. it mm. She didn't have a lot. You know, if you were to examine how many lines she had or whatever, it doesn't amount to much. Mm. But with that, even with that scarcity, uh, scarcity of lines, it's still. I mean, it, it fleshes. I don't mean to. No pun intended. She really fleshes out her character. Yeah, done very well. Uh, that's true. And I guess I'll leave it there because there are other people in the in the queue. So I, I mean, I, I, for me, I have no problem in saying just this one episode. I've enjoyed so much, and, and especially in concert with the confidential. I didn't need the confidential to understand the story, but I think the confidential was especially effective at um, telling us, like actually being an episode of confidential. Because you know how sometimes episodes of confidential are not really that much about the making of that episode. Yeah, sometimes they go off on something, on something else. That, Right, but I think that this one is one of the best episodes of Doctor Confidential for actually telling you stuff that you needed to know, and it even has a recurring guest. 
because we saw in Confidential the return of Charlie the Badger. Yes, the, yeah. The, mm-hmm. the lovely little puppet that we were introduced to <laughs> in the confidential webisodes that happened around the time of A Christmas Carol. Yeah. Uh, that was Matt Smith's Christmas present, and mm-hmm. it was great to see him back again. And I hope that he returns in, in future episodes. And uh, Matt Smith uh, doing, doing, doing his seems voice. like he's actually developing a character yeah. for that mm-hmm. thing. Anyway, um, fabulous episode. Uh, it's For me, at this point, it's a five, and I don't really think that it, I would rate it lower next week even if I don't like the conclusion just because I really have enjoyed the the entire experience of this week well I I just want to also just make a um, agree with you about the Doctor Who Confidential that that really needs I mean it's unfortunate that here in the US it's not really seen as much and a lot of people are unaware of it and I wish maybe BBC America had would had picked that up as well, well. it's available on their site in a cut down version because I don't mm-hmm. think that they have the rights globally for all the music but, that's used in the full version. I don't think so a lot of people are down. aware of it uh, to begin, you know, as a whole. I, I think most, if you were to, you know, um, survey most U.S. viewers, that they may not be aware of that it, it exists maybe on the DVDs, but they don't know that it's like a full-fledged, you know, episode. Well, hopefully some of them will know now. <laughs> Well, let's hope. But it's hard to find. I mean, I wish it was like a. I wish like the whole thing was available on iTunes or something like that to purchase. So. Even if but. they, they. I mean, I know a lot of my enjoyment of them is the music in it. Um, but even if they strip the music and just, just to get it out there, yeah, a little bit more. Like the problem with the confidential is uh, confidential cut down is that they focus on whatever it is they want to focus on. Um, in the in the editing process to get it down to 15 minutes, but the thing is, you might want some of the other material that's there too, and it, it would just be better to serve it up without music and just say, "Look, we don't have the rights for that." I don't see what's wrong with people saying that. Just you know, here it is. You can get the actual information off of it, but it doesn't sound quite as good as it did in the original because, simply put, we can't get the rights for the music. So deal. Yeah. I would like that. how. They were available for the specials on iTunes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and the point is they do do, when they make these things, they do the multi-track, so I don't think stripping out the music is as difficult as no. it might appear. No, it's it's dead easy. You know, they specifically do that. Yeah. Um, well, so, yeah, sometimes the music is like part of the the mood they're trying to. Well, exactly, but right, but, but you know, like like in this one, you know, the the very opening shots, there's a you know music uh, having to do with ice, and they're showing, you know, they're trying to establish very quickly we are in a cold, cold place right now. The fact of the matter is, you don't you don't need it. I mean, it's nice; it does enhance the mood, but at the end of the day, it is a factual program. So just give me the facts. Let me have the entire facts and, and, and just tell me, you know, put a little graphic up at the front. This should have music in it. It doesn't. We're sorry. Yeah. Okay. It's just because, you know, modified for overseas um, viewing or something like that. It doesn't, you know, whatever. Just to get it out there. I mean, right, to cutting it out completely is throwing it's out the baby with the bathwater. Anyway, isn't it? That's the point. Yeah. 
All right. Well, thank you once again, Darth. Uh, we're going to get to the final couple quotas in there, and hopefully uh, you can join us next week and about uh, which is uh, the titled "The Almost People," which is the conclusion of this story. Now, there's a two-week delay. Lewis. Is there? You mentioned that right at the beginning. Whoa, whoa, whoa! There's, it's not coming out next week. No, not in these. Not in the calendar. Not on BBC America. Really? That BBC America is not showing it next weekend. Yeah, Saturday. It's on Saturdays. But all right. Well, no, I wasn't aware of that. Well, well, Travis probably can explain it better. Is it? Is it? Um, is it going to be on BBC UK? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, yes, indeed. Yeah. All right. Well, then there's unfortunately. I mean, we we still have a show scheduled for next week. As we should. All right. Well, well it's, I, was I mean, just, uh, mentioning it. No, I didn't. I'm glad you did. I wasn't aware that BBC America was delaying it. Well, they usually don't broadcast new programming on Memorial Day weekend because then the ratings would be useless. I, I don't understand it myself, but okay. Well, most people do family stuff on Memorial Day weekend in the state. At nine o'clock on a Saturday night. I can't. It's Memorial Day weekend. I can't watch well, Doctor Who. Well, if you're Who. out of town, then you're probably not going to be at your TV set. I I just never seen Memorial Day as a family holiday. But I, we're 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 going down a rat hole here. Let's let's <laughs> <laughs> let's get back to uh, a, badger, a badger hole. Yeah, a badger hole. Quote the controversial. <laughs> All right. Thanks or again, down Darth. A hole with an acid pipe. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, next up is, uh, and I do have to apologize, this is, um, uh, well, Mark Goodacre, who's uh, known as Resident Alien in our um, chat, and that's why I didn't recognize him at first, but he's a supporting subscriber. I would have had him on earlier, so uh, apologies there. Welcome to back to the show, Mark. Hello. It's, uh, you don't need to apologize at all. I'm, uh, I'm sort of doing yard work and things while I, while I listen. <laughs> That's brilliant. I'll be really brief, but can I pick up um, just on the BBC America thing? Because one of the things about being a British expat living in the US Mm -hmm. is this whole stress about how how do you consume your Doctor Who? Do you get it on the the kind of the naughty route of uh, doing victims and things, or do you support BBC America? And I always try and do the BBC America thing. Well, well, just just so that just before you go any further, a lot of people, including myself, don't have access to BBC America as far as their cable provider doesn't carry it. So, for I mean, what I like that they're doing this year is that they're showing up on iTunes a lot sooner. Last year, it was Mm -hmm. like within like you had to wait 24 hours after it was broadcast on BBC America before they would show up on iTunes or Amazon. Now, I don't know exactly when, but within a few hours of broadcast they're appearing on iTunes I think today is pretty late yeah was it yeah I couldn't find mine yet yeah yeah I mean that's yeah and that's a plus and then you can watch it all the way through but I think the I mean the thing about watching it on BBC America is that you, you, you get to a dramatic moment, and it does the... I mean, people that haven't seen some BBC America won't know this, but it does the kind of the TARDIS scream as it goes into the ad break. And it really... You'd be going, well, we'll be in. It's been 10 minutes, and the episode's finishing already, you know? And it, it catches me every time. And th- th- there's a couple of things that are really beginning to grate with BBC America as well. And, and I feel bad saying this, because it's fantastic that we've got same-day broadcasts. But one of the things is that um, they have this little... 
intro before the opening credits where Amy kind of sets the sort of uh, backstory of, of, you know, the last year or so. And that takes you right out of it because I like to, you know, go straight into the opening credits from the pre-credit sequence. And then another thing... We yeah, I, I don't know what... This time, we... They're doing that. I don't know if it, it's just to um, get new people familiarized with it, but it just seems I I wasn't aware since I don't have BBC America. I wasn't aware they were doing it on a weekly basis. I knew they did it originally with the I, season I think opener. They're doing that for all the uh, foreign sales because I think I heard that in the, Australia and New mm-hmm. Zealand, I think they have the same thing. Yes, they've did it other countries. Yeah. You know, I think it was missing in the second episode, if I remember rightly. I think it was missing, but then it's back again for all the remaining episodes. So, that's, yeah, I, I, you know, I can cope with that. But well, this time, we we also get these little insider looks. Uh, like, during the ads, it, it does, like, a really, really, really mini confidential, like, kind of 30, 40 seconds or yeah. so, usually Stephen Moffat mm-hmm. and Matt Smith, apparently, sure. instead of saying something about the episode. And this time, they mistimed it. They put the wrong insider look in the wrong ad break. Uh, so you're actually watching spoilers for the episode oh, really? during the episode itself. Oh, it's really shoddy. I mean, I mean, that kind of stuff is easy to fix, isn't it? I mean, you know, I feel like writing to them and saying to them, you know, look, you know, send it to me. I'll, I'll, I'll check it for you, you know. So that was that. That was kind of disappointing a little bit. But um, unfortunately, that's not the first time. I, I think maybe I think it was Sci-Fi or Siffy, whatever, had done that, where they had uh, they showed trailers for the part two of a story during part one, which gave away too much. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this one it was they, they basically the, the it was the insider look. It was about Rory and Jennifer. And the whole thing about how we're going to give Rory this uh, relationship with Jennifer, and you know, and and, and there was little, two little clips of things we hadn't seen yet. And I thought, oh, we're all we're all sighing away. And then they played it again the next ad- adverts, you know. So it obviously, I don't know, I don't know whether they'd realised they played the wrong one or what. But uh, so that was a bit poor. They should um, just save that for the end, you know. After the episode's over, then play it, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, it does take you out of the story to have them explaining it while you're still watching mm-hmm. it, you know. Yeah. But still, they're minor gripes. I mean, the overall thing is I'm pleased that BBC America are doing it. You know, that's great. It means that there's much more of a vibe about Doctor Who. So, you know, around here where a lot of people have got BBC America, lots of people can get it quite easily on the local table. It means that, you know, people are watching it same day. You can chat. In the past, you'd have to think, oh, OK, where are they up to on BBC America, you know, and try and work out where they were, you know. So, so that's kind of good. Um, but uh, I, I, I didn't enjoy this much episode as much as everyone else seemed to. I, I, I think part of the problem for me is that I have a bit of an aversion to seeing, you know, big vats of, you know, the kind of alien goo type stuff, electronic goo. Simply because you know we've seen it, we've seen it so often before, and. I don't think it's a particularly clever idea. It's not, you know, it's not something that, you know, is a sign of kind of brilliant, you know, writing or anything. It's just that image. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid for me, it always reminds me of um, that film Carry On Screaming, where they, where, you know, you have Odd Job and Odd Job Junior getting created out of the big tub of, of goo. So I find that a little bit, you know, I find that not so easy to cope with. But I think one of the reasons I enjoy, you know, listening in to these live pod shots and cult them collective as well earlier on is that, you know, I realise that I think, oh, yeah, you know, you're all pointing out things that I'll be able to look for next time I watch it. And, uh, you know, listening to you all, I'm beginning to think, you know, maybe there's a bit more to it than I thought. 
but it was a, I don't know, for me overall it felt like a bit of a, it was another Base Under Siege episode, which we've had quite a lot of since the return 2005, and and I, I didn't feel that huge amounts actually happened. You know, I, I'm really wondering whether this could have been a, a one-parter. What, you know, what has actually just happened in that episode that we've seen over 45 minutes? You know, it, basically we've got a few clones and we've got a few people who aren't clones and we've got lots of running around, you know. And then even the bits that are continuity, it's the same bits again, it's the eye patch lady again, it's same as pregnancy again. So, I don't know, it, it, it certainly wasn't for me a dud episode. It wasn't a, a, a really poor one, but I'm finding this series overall a bit of a roller coaster. You know, I'm, I'm kind of mm-hmm. really high from the first two. I thought Curse of Black Spot for me was a real drop. Then I was on a real high again for Doctor's Wife, and I've kind of dropped a little bit again for this one. So I'm hoping that second episode can persuade me otherwise. Um, but so I'll, I, I realize the show's been going for a long time, so I'm happy to sign off there. I think I'll give this one a two, two and a half, something like that, but with uh, the possibility of revising sure. it in the light of next week. Well, hopefully I you'll really be back with us next week when we review The Almost People and give us your final you know, summary of the whole story. All right. Well, thank you once again, Mark. Cheers. 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 Okay. Last but not least is Tartus Girl. Hello. Welcome to Dr. Who Podshock. Hello. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Very good. What did you think of um, the Rebel Flash? I thought it was okay. Not the best story. Um, I thought the plot line was pretty weak, and um, it, I thought it was a real fast pace, and then went to slow pace really quickly for me. Mm-hmm. Like, um, how the next solar um, tsunami, I guess, um, went, and then the aftershock, I thought that was both too fast paced, and then... They went quickly to back to slow. You know what I mean? Yeah, the the, the pacing changed from from that yeah. from one to you, the other. Do you think, like some of us thought, that it was basically time to make sure that you had that big reveal at the end, and that I probably influenced it. Sorry. Um, I like the revealer, but I think like how they went into it was a little too confusing. Um especially to viewers who aren't really, like, um, like little kids who aren't really that into Doctor Who that much. Like, I don't really catch up on what's actually happening. Yeah. yeah. It was never explained. It was never explained. Well, I mean, explained that who they were pumping the acid from, but it never explained, you know... You know You've got this uh, island thing. Looks a bit like to me, like some man, some some man Michel, that one of those little islands between uh, the UK and France, that's in the in the English Channel. And, and just uh, a, a little tip. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I, but I do want to add something to that when you, when you're done. Go on. No, no, I was just going to say if if this was a mid, um, if this was built in the 13th century on a little island, how would they get the supplies in the 13th century, you know, to this little island to build a monastery like that? I mean, just well, the stone they built and Malta. No, 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 I actually because they built 
monasteries were always built in in easy to fortify and safeguard ways. That's why they're always on these precipices and. Uh, and, and then the one in South America, which is not monastery, but a religious, you know, they actually were built in inaccessible places because that was the best form of defence because you're not actually going to, if you're a monk, you're not actually going to start fighting people with swords. So your best defence was to have mm-hmm. unscalable heights. So Don't the, underestimate the... primitive man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, so Tardis girl, continue on. I'm, oh, Dave, I, I think I interrupted Dave. No, no, no. Uh, we'll see what Tardis girl has. It's okay. Um, I, um, when I was on the imposture, and I noticed how some people were a little confused at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was. Thought, um, I thought that the flesh was basically um, a safe way for... Um, I would say normal humans, <laughs> um, a safe way to get for them to work around the oil because plastic doesn't really react that much to oil, I think, do they? Because I thought it was like a safer way just in, just in case like if, if the flesh dies, they can still live. Yeah, basically because they were losing a, a person, a human, uh, you know, before oh, this, week, yeah. uh, once a week. So now that's the reason why they were using these uh, flesh um, double doppelgangers, if you will. Yeah. I mean, they could have just yeah. as easily used androids or whatever, controlled them that way, but, you know, like robots. But, uh, I mean, I guess it wouldn't have worked for the story, you know, if, if they did. Yeah. Um, but also, um, the only big thing for me in this episode um, I, um, that really caught my attention and like, confused me a lot was the whole Amy pregnancy thing. And if you notice throughout the episode, the doctor's really worried about her. Like, he keeps looking at her and he's like, what? And... Well, I still don't know if he knows because th- that test is still going on. But you know, he's yeah. he's he's concerned. You know, and and I think he said I don't know if it was last episode or the episode before that he you know he always worries about her. Yeah, I I know that he always worries about his companions. Like in the last episode, he sent them to TARDIS, but in this episode especially, he keeps looking at her, and he doesn't really isn't really much worried about. Worry, worry, as much. Well, there's definitely going to be more in in this whole series. um, There's going to be more about her, about Amy. She's going to play more into this because this whole thing with the eye patch lady that only she's seeing her really, and um, I, I think. You know, whatever this is going to kind of turn out to be, it's going to be centered around Amy. And even last series, it was, you know, specified that, you know, it, it's all centered around Amy, really. And um, so I, I think that whole thing hasn't been resolved yet. Yeah. And also, what, sorry. What's very interesting is you have both the doctor knows something about. Amy and Amy and Rory know something about the doctor. Mm-hmm. They're each not telling the other. Yeah. Um, isn't it true that after this next episode, um, Doctor Who won't premiere again until 
fall? Yeah, they're taking. Uh, we have two more episodes to go. We have the Almost People, and then um, I can't remember the, the a Good Man Goes a Good to man. War. Yeah, so we have those two, and then it takes a break for the summer, if you will, and then it returns for the. It, it resumes in the fall, if, depending how you want to see it, as two two mini yeah. series or, or one series divided into two. Okay. So we'll get we'll see the rest of the series of, of, of the 2011 series, if for the lack of a better name, in the second half of, <laughs> of the year. Yeah. So uh, final, um, I mean, I, obviously it's only half the story so far, but uh, how would you, would you give it a TARDIS grown rating on how you feel about it um, so far? A 3.5. Like I said before, it wasn't the best episode, and I thought it was very, very much alike to the Hungry Earth thing. Because mm-hmm. like, okay. a woman kills one of the opponent, like the opposite teams, and they're both trying yeah. to collaborate each other. And I thought it was basically the same idea. The, yeah. You know, island and flesh and all that. I, I didn't see the parallels at first, but you know, after doing this show today, I, I I see more of those parallels. But while watching it, I, it didn't. I wasn't bothered too much by it at the time, but I mean, I, I see what you're saying here, and and the others. Um, I think Perry made that point, and others had made similar points. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope you can join us next week, and you can give us your final, you know, summary of of this. What you thought about this whole story. Well, I live in America, so... Oh, all right. Well, I... America won't show it. Yeah, I, obviously I didn't know about that until today, so... Yeah. Well, um, you can always show. send in feedback. What we're going to do is uh, try to get... Because people have been sending some feedback to us about, you know, particular episode reviews that sh- which don't make it to the live show, so we'll try to... Um, incorporate those in a either a studio episode or if we do another yes we we all want to hear what Ken yeah. and, uh, James thought as well yeah I don't do one of those know why you know hopefully um, they'll join us as well so I mean obviously James has um, has a distraction right now <laughs> he has another lump of flesh that he's distracted with <laughs> and I mean that in a good way you know <laughs> all right well thank you Taurus girl Thank you. Cheers. Have a nice day. Thank you. Okay, so, uh, yeah, we are having a show next week, which is uh, Memorial Day weekend in, in the U.S., but it's a, it's a three-day holiday, and it's, uh, you know, it, we're, we're going to be doing it at the same time, Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time, so um, I wasn't aware that BBC America wasn't showing it that Sunday, uh, that Saturday night. So, um, yeah, so it may just be... Uh, those that um i don't know you know it we'll see hopefully um we'll get a turnout but i think that's going to wrap things up for this episode of talk to you Pach. Like, oh so my final uh thoughts as far as and and i'll get both Taras and dave and i think dave already gave his but i mine is uh four tardis groans four out of five for this episode so far but that could change uh, next week you know depending on when we see the the final part of this story Dave Terras, any yeah. final yeah, something? I think I think mine's three and a half. It, but it's one of those that looks as though I might get more out of it, uh, as I said a few more times. And there are no more ratings in the text. I think I've read all the ones that've been in. 
Okay, and what I should do is, let's see, I um, check out, out, we on our website, podshock.net, we always have a, um, a form there, a poll there, rather, that you can rate you, what you thought of this episode. And um, let's see, Rebel Flash, let's see where we're at right now. Oh, it's slower than I Four, thought. Four, three, and two. Yeah, it's... Uh, Three Tardis Groans has the most. Well, only there's only very few votes. So uh, if you go to our website, podchock.net, you can uh, rate how you feel about the Rebel Flash on give you a Tardis Groan rating. Right now, uh, three Tardis Groans has the most votes, but uh, there's the sampling's very small. We only have like four votes so far. So uh, vote well, early. Vote off. I was just gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, any other final thoughts before we wrap up? I uh, think no. that the payoff of this uh, episode is actually going to be in next week's or for BBC America in two weeks in in that episode. So it, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Okay. Especially yeah. the uh, I trailer had some interesting scenes. We're, we're going to – Dave – I also want to thank Dave for uh, – helping out with the clips there and he also provided us with a clip of the trailer too so we're going to play that on our way out and um so thank you once again dave and also you can listen to dave as well on the cultum collective along with ian uh on sundays at 2 p.m eastern daylight time on talk show as well dave do you want to give the talk show id number yes it's 54821 and if you come on we will make sure that you can have your say and be off in time to join this prestigious show. So you can have your say again. Yeah. <laughs> you could say different things on different shows. That's okay. Oh, I try and do that. All right. So until next week, um, I hope everyone has. And if you if you're in the U.S. or if if, if you're a U.S. citizen, happy Memorial Day for next week. But we'll we'll say that next week. So until then, cheers, everyone. Bye. Goodbye. I have a plan. Hurry me. And it'll destroy them all. You're one of us, Doctor. Listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented by the fan-run GallifreyEmbassy.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This was, this has been a production of Art Trap Productions and is presented to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible in part by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode is also supported by the Podshock Podshock Companion app, available for iOS devices in the iTunes App Store. We're fighting ourselves.
Elves. Yes, it's insane, and it's about to get even more insaner. Is that a word? Show yourself! Right now! Doctor! We are trapped in here, and Rory is out there with them. Correct in every respect, Pond. It's frightening, unexpected, frankly a total utter splattering mess on the carpet, but I am certain, 100% certain, that we can work this out. Trust me. I'm a doctor.